You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Okay, I am back. Hi. Let's do mailbag. Oh my goodness. Super pumped for mailbag. Yes, yes. yes. Welcome to Rebel Eaters Club. I'm Virgie Tovar, and Isabel Fox and Duke is back. Isabel is a health coach who helps people learn how to finally make peace with food. She's also a really good friend of mine. You sent us your most pressing questions about how to get the hell out of diet culture. And Isabel and I are here to answer. Mailbag is your superpower. Oh, this is this is my jam. I love a good, I love a Q&A more than anyone. Let's do it. Okay, so you're ready to show off your superpower. Yes. I'm ready. All right. So someone asks, where do you draw the line between healthy eating and eating what is pleasurable? Am I right to think that the point you are making is not to not choose health, but to be allowed to feel and seek pleasure through food if that is your decision? Yeah, this is a great question. So I think that, you know, again, this sort of comes down to the definition of health. Right. So we think of health as something that has just to do with like my macronutrients and my physical body. Right. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) but, but, but the reality is, right. Health includes mental and emotional health and pleasure and joy and being able to get pleasure and joy specifically from foods is something that we're really designed for. And that's very important for our mental health, important for satisfaction, satiation, all of these various different, you know, benefits that come from pleasure. Right. I mean, pleasure is a health activity. Pleasure is health. Pleasure is health promoting. Exactly. Pursuing <laughs> pleasure is a health activity, right? So then when I think about health, right, as a giant pie of all sorts of different aspects of health that may include things like macronutrients and one to do vegetables, blah, blah, but it probably also includes all of these other things. A big challenge that my clients come up, they think like if they have a salad, that means they're by definition choosing a salad over, you know, the macaroni or the hamburger or whatever. And I'm like, put your hands together, have them both, right? Like, let's get (laughs) it all in, you know, and really looking, taking, looking at health from the attitude of like, how do I get it all in? You know, my health needs are changing. Maybe one day my pressing need for pleasure is just, it's more pressing than my need for something else. And it's okay for that to be 
flexible and changing. I love, I love, I love. Okay, next question. What diet BS did you fall for when you were still stuck in diet culture? Um, ooh, uh, what diet? I mean, <laughs> I mean, all of it. I mean, for me, the intuitive <laughs> eating diet was such a big one. It's amazing. Like people will go through my whole program. We'll talk about weight supping theory. We'll go through all the stuff. And still, I often hear people say, there's just still this part of me that feels like somehow if I get it right, I'm going to lose weight, right? Right, And so if there's this part of you that's like, somehow if I get it right, I'm going to lose weight, or like maybe this legalization phase is just a phase. You hear that a lot with intuitive eating of like, well, I'm going to eat a lot in the beginning, but then eventually I'll get to a point where I don't want brownies anymore, um, right, right. We've, like, we've I mean, talked we about talking that. About, we were just talking about this where it's like this myth of like, I'm an intuitive, it's like, I'm, there's almost like an angelic, like, oh, I'm an intuitive eater now. I don't even want anything that isn't a vegetable. Like, I'm just like, and I'm like, this arrival myth is just, it's just kind of poop garbage. I'm like, I don't think yeah. that that's a thing. I no longer, right. no, not only do I not think that's a thing, I also don't think that's absolutely anything we should be struggling striving for. I mean, it's only because of diet culture that that thing would even have any cachet or value or appeal anyway. Right. I mean, a way that, and I like the the arrival language, the arrival fallacy language is like, really, it's like, if there's any part of you that's like thinking that in the future, your food's going to be magically different, or like, you're like going to get somewhere that you're not currently, that's a red flag, right? Really, like diet recovery is just about my food is what my food is and I'm cool with it today, no matter what it is, right? And so if I'm still orienting towards food as like something that I'm going to achieve in the future, that is probably indication of some sort of uh, underlying diet mentality. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. Okay. So next question, how do you avoid turning intuitive eating into just another diet? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, <laughs> the, I letting go of narrow definitions of hunger and fullness would be like my number one thing, right? Ooh. Like recognizing that generally speaking, I think when people first learn about intuitive eating like I did, you know, I thought hunger was a growl in my stomach. Little did I know that hunger can literally just take the form of thinking about food, right? Let even the concepts of hunger and fullness go. I prefer concepts like appetite and satiation. So like my definition of appetite would be, I want food. I'm in the mood for food. I could eat. Then great, eat, you know? Um, And satisfaction is just, I don't want to eat anymore. I'm done. I'm satisfied. And sometimes this is where people get tripped up with with the difference between uh, satisfaction and fullness. People think if I'm full, then like I must be satisfied. And if I go past full, that's bad. But actually, sometimes you need to get really full to get satisfied. There are days where I could eat something and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm satisfied. I don't really need any more. And it's all like polite and cute and like not that full. And there are other days where it's like, I'm going to get stuffed right now. And that's my Mm. satisfaction point. Like I need to get it in now. And that's okay too. And so I actually really encourage people to just let go of the concepts of hunger and fullness in general and focus more on appetite and satiation, which my definitions of that would be, I want food and I don't want food. Bottom line. I love that. I love that. Okay. Amazing. Okay. So um, this is, I think that this question is a little bit about, can you talk about what it was like sort of being in the depths of dieting and compare that to 
what it feels like now that you're not doing that? Ooh, you know, I say this a lot to my clients. I still get super anxious. I still have lots of life problems. I still have a lot of relationship problems. I still go into get triggered and go into trauma response. I just do it about other things now, not Mm. about food as much, not about my body as much. Um, You know, when I was dieting, like that became the epicenter. That became the place where all of my trauma energy, if you will, went. Um, It was constantly all about controlling food and perfectionism and the this and the that and the just constant fatigue of trying to hang on by my fingernails all the time, trying not to fall. That's every single day of dieting and then falling and hating yourself for falling, right? And today... You know, like on the one hand, I'm like, you know, initially, especially I would say in the first like couple years into really solid recovery, I was like, felt so free around food and it's so amazing. And and then there was, there's this like liberation that I experienced that was so amazing. But I do like to remind people just to like kind of give a dose of reality that not dieting anymore didn't actually solve my trauma. My trauma no longer attaches to food, but fundamentally, like, I still am a human being who struggles with trauma and anxiety and, like, stress and relationship stuff. And so it's like, food is just not one of them. And I actually think of it as, like, a privilege that I actually get to work on other areas of my life now because food is not constantly the thing that's distracting me from everything else. I get to work on my relationships now. I get to, like, work on my career challenges now in a way that I couldn't be as present for when it was all about food. But yeah, I think that there's this idea that like once we're in recovery, like life is going to be a magical unicorn, just kind of similarly to like how we feel like once I've, you know, lose the weight, my life will be a magical Mm -hmm. unicorn. And that's not true either. And so I kind of like to like call that out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think to that point, I love the idea of sort of getting to, you know, work on these other areas of your life. Because if food is your number one way that you're coping with anxiety or unresolved trauma or any number of things, right? Or like living in a fat phobic culture, like food is so immediate and constant and so connected to survival that you don't, you don't really get past that. That's sort of like the, in the hierarchy of what you're dealing, like how you're taking care of yourself. That one's always going to be on top if that's, if that's one of your coping mechanisms, you know? Right. Right. Like every New Year's resolution was like about losing weight in the past. Like this year, my New Year's resolution was to be more kind to my boyfriend. Yeah. Very different, you know? Yeah, 100%. It was absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for you sharing your time and your wisdom. I can't wait for our next encounter. I know. What a treat. It is truly life-changing when you stop worrying about food and you become free to use your mental energy and emotional bandwidth for other things, like helping a friend leave their toxic relationship, taking up macrame, creating elaborate zines about your favorite foods, or learning how to finally make a massive tower of cream puffs called a croquembouche. If you have thoughts on the conversation you just heard, or even if you just want to say hi, reach out. DM me at Virgie Tovar, 
DM the show's producers at Transmitter Pods or shoot us a message at rebeleatersclub at gmail.com. Rebel Eaters Club is brought to you by Transmitter Media. This episode was produced by Shoshi Shmulevitz. Sarah Nix is Transmitter's executive editor. Wilson Sayre is our managing producer. And Greta Cohen is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Virgie Tovar. Rick Kwan is our mix engineer. And thanks to Taka Yasuzawa, who wrote some of the music we use in the show. If you love Rebel Eaters Club, tell your friends and share the love by writing a review on your favorite podcast app.